I'm going to take a little liberty here and uh, suggest that you have a brief chance to ask a couple of questions of these three while they're still on stage. There are some microphones down the front here and some further to the back. We don't have very long, so if you could pay us the great respect of keeping the question shorter than any possible answer, uh, that would be uh, much appreciated. Um, Obviously, the exception is if you are a locksmith, you can do one song <laughs> and one song only. But you have to be a left-handed guitarist unless you brought your own axe. That's the rule. So uh, if you can make your way to a microphone, if you have a question, we have time for a few. And I can see people making a move now, possibly for the toilet. <laughs> but they're very emphatic about that need. There we go. Um, a, a little tongue-in-cheek. But um, a lot of us count on checking that uh, friends and family in the States are, are culturally safe by checking into your show. But what, what happens if you go back and the cultural police have descended and your producer's wearing jackboots and it looks like an episode of Handmaid's Tale out of the window? What are you going to do to let us know that we should assemble a team and come and rescue you? <laughs> <laughs> What's the high sign? I think it's Covefe, right? <laughs> That's as good a Manchurian trigger as any, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. My voice is my passport. Verify. What are the different code words? <laughs> um, hi. Um, thank you so much for tonight. It's been such a pleasure to be able to listen and see you three. Um, and in particular, having recently had a baby, um, it's just been really wonderful for some very long, dark, grim nights of the soul to have your voices in my ears. Um, one of the things that I always enjoy when it's mentioned is Steve's particular passion for the Bachelor franchise. <laughs> and I was just wondering, Steve, if you had any early thoughts on um, the current Bachelorette season and the first ever um, – black woman to be well black person to be fronting um the bachelor or bachelorette and whether or not you think that that counts as progress in a show which i guess on the face of it is so essentially retrograde well i can answer the second part first um which is god i hope so i haven't seen it which is why i can't really answer the first part in good conscience um but um but I certainly hope so. I mean, the show had a, an awful problem when it came to um, race and and tokenism. I mean, it was just it was terrible. I mean, it, you're looking to us for confirmation, but you forget <laughs> that Tana and I like, have never seen one minute of the show. <laughs> well, we did talk about it once, Tana. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I guess I saw one one episode <laughs> begrudgingly. Um, so hopefully, yeah, hopefully it's progressed further. But um, I don't. I can't really quite explain. The origin of my affection for that television show. I mean, it is freaking low as it goes. <laughs> but um, apparently, I got something out of it. I think it was when my my wife was pregnant with our first child, and um, we shared a kind of common pregnancy brain, and um, and bonded over the show. And in fact, we watched. I'll never forget this part. We watched an episode of The Bachelor, Bachelorette. I can't remember which one it was, and we went upstairs. And this was five weeks from her due date. And if someone ever tells you that when your water breaks, it's not like in the movies, they are 
fucking with you because it was just like in the movies. It was like Lucy Ricardo or something. It was like a fucking gusher. And um and so she was triggered by a uh, by trash TV. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I, got, I, so. I don't watch it, but that it's so in the air, this discussion about the, the Black Bachelorette, that I would just throw it back to you and say, I mean, the, 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 the critique that I keep hearing is that this is not being foregrounded at all, that there's essentially been no discussion of race on the show whatsoever, and that it's kind of the sheer tokenism right. of her existence on the show, at right. least so far. No, no, that is another disease of American culture, which is you go from being, in many ways, a, you know, excruciatingly racist culture to a post-racial one with one symbolic gesture and that, if that's what's happening, then that's disgraceful. But um, maybe I should watch it before pronouncing judgment. Hey, hey, guys, how you guys doing? Uh, I feel like you answered that when you guys came out. Um, I, that's not the question. So obviously, you guys uh, are in Australia, and uh, like, what what is your perception? I just I'm ruining this already. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> What is your perception of Australian TV? Because we've actually, you know, we've started to import some of our content. We've started to win Emmys uh, because of it, which is, which is kind of great. Um, and also, would you be willing to try an Australian accent? Oh, God. <laughs> Either one is fine, because I've asked you seven questions in a row. I'm real sorry. <laughs> well, you were saying you watched some TV in the hotel, Dana. Yeah, but I don't think that's going to be an exemplary answer to the question, because whatever narrow range of channels our hotel subscribes to are... Very strange and definitely not, you know, sort of the new burst of the golden age of television in any country. Um, oh, it's so kind you think that. That's as good as it gets. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I couldn't even find any narrative television in my hotel room. It all seemed to be lifestyle shows, news shows, kind of chat shows. Is that that's the typical range? <laughs> isn't, isn't, isn't one trend that we're basically taking some of your best shows and turning them into crappy American facsimiles. Yeah, we specialize in crappy American facsimiles. <laughs> um, I don't know anything about Australian TV, so I'll try the accent. Just, well, I'll do the imitation. Dana and I went to the zoo in Sydney and saw some little hopping mouse, and then there was this very small Australian child watching the hopping mouse hop up to a little water dish and drink from it. And this, I, I mean, all the, it, it's so fun to come to a place and hear accents and think about accents and think about why would Australia, which is a former British colony, have a different accent than America, which is a former British colony. Like, how that? And why are they both different from British? Like, accents are fascinating. But they're never more fascinating than when you hear a seven-year-old boy be like, it's drinking the water. <laughs> I know that sounds British. I have no pretense that that sounds Australian at all. But basically, our whole traveling party has just been saying the sentence, it's drinking the water. Are you sure that wasn't your Jame, Dame du Judy Dench impression? I, I have no knack for it, I, but I was asked to humiliate myself and I obliged. Oh, I'll have a flat white, please. <laughs> it's terrible. That's, that was just straight up Nigel Tufnell from Spinal Tap. Can I try that same sentence since I've said it so many times in Australia, but never with an Australian accent? I'll have a flat white. <laughs> Actually, the that key... was fucking Fagan. That was wasn't Australian. Was that key, was South the... <laughs> Fake Cockney. The key that I've noticed today that I would embed where I had to try and do this is. Uh, you guys say your teen numbers with like a very muddy soft D. So it's like 18, 14. Like it's, there's no T, there's no T, -t, -t in the teens. I'll give you the thing that I would place most completely unjustified synecdotal weight on in attempting to extrapolate 
the Australian character from something tiny and probably meaningless. Ready? No worries. <laughs> it's like I just said fucking thank you. Say you're fucking welcome. No worries. I have a question about no worries for the audience and for Michael. Is that is that a recent because that's that's starting to catch on in America too, but here it really seems to be the universal, universal. response to thank you, at least in a service kind of situation, you know, to a to a, in a restaurant. I don't know among friends if no worries has replaced your welcome completely, but is that recent? No, I think it's pretty deeply entrenched. Like lots of those Australianisms I think uh dated or uh, the ones that so Steve Irwin's crikey or whatever people don't talk like that really but no worries is something that I think captures a part of the Australian sense of self which is a kind of um, often bullshit idea of ourselves as laid back or laconic or uh, believers in the fair go or all of these things are kind of entrenched in our sense of national psyche and so no worries far better to say no worries than to show that you give a shit about anything. <laughs> it's a basic rule so my, of my synecdotal weight is being well borne by the uh, well it presupposes that the person thanking you is worried about something yeah. you know which is not that this seems like a big leap i'm sorry you're americans in 2017 <laughs> if you're not worried about something you're, <laughs> you're doing it wrong we probably only have time for two more i know there's heaps of you but we're going to take one down here and then you've been waiting up the back there for a while Thanks. I think in America, instead of no worries, you just say, mm-hmm. Isn't that the response? <laughs> That's what I heard. Um, so when I, when I found out that you were coming here and that Courtney was playing, I thought, what is it about Courtney? And this is sort of a broader question, but what is it about Courtney's music that really, I mean, she was on the Ellen show. That's massive, you know, and her music is so Melbourne. It's so Australian. We've never really, oh, well, I mean, I'm being, really quite broad about this as well but you know we haven't been that famous as a as a city and as a country about ourselves so what 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 was it about Courtney's music that's a great question like seriously because it no, I mean don't you think like isn't it curious I can't be you know because we get it but what what do you get about it I mean I mean first of all it's just really really good I mean you know I mean if you can write great lyrics and a great melody and it's not in that sense, shocking at all. Well, I mean, I think that the answer would apply to almost any sort of great use of language in literature and poetry in music anywhere, which is that, and you always sort of hear this as a writing tip, you know, a kind of general idea about writing is that the more specific you can get, the more universal you are, right? And the more kind of perfectly and precisely you can describe a thought or an action or eating ramen or going to the suburbs to look at a house, that's the moment that it it bursts the bounds of the specific and becomes something that everyone can identify with. I'll also say very quickly that a, a very, I think, really unique thing that her music does is it calls back to the early 90s to Liz Fair and the Breeders and grunge while also make it, making it completely new. So I think someone younger, like her age, basically one of her contemporaries, hears a contemporary addressing them in their own language, where someone my age, an old fuck like me, who for whom that, you know, the hole and, you know, the Pixies were, were formative, hears in the music itself something that uh, is really, really, you know, familiar and something that I love. It's been revived. Yeah, it's it's it does have this quality of time travel if you grew up idolizing Liz Fair as I did, uh, where the sonic qualities are everything I wanted from a perfect pop album in 1994, but the sensibility and the specificity, it's so clearly describing the world right now. Um, and it, and so it feels like magic 
like you're like I wish that I they were still making music like the music I uh, of this particular moment about this new moment and that that is part of the appeal. But yet it's not retro or nostalgic. Yeah, yeah, it's that, curious. No, yeah, exactly. yeah. It, it doesn't feel dated in any way, but it's. I mean, you know, we I, also part of this is just Steve owning me because we have this big fight about singer songwriters versus like you know the pop the producer as the auteur of the song. Um, all the time, and I usually take the other side, but obviously this is better than everything. So yeah, You've been owned. All right. And the last question up the back there. Hi. Um, I was wondering if you could go back in time to do a segment on something that happened at the time that it was released or that it happened, what would it be? That's so good. I don't know. <sighs> to any time? You can travel to any time period and... Oh my God! Like we, it could be like Cymbeline, or you know, or whatever those Wagner operas are called. But if I wouldn't travel back in time to see something that was just an unquestioned masterpiece, like Citizen Kane or something, because we would all agree it has to be something that's a richer text that we I might wonder, argue though, about. Right? To see something that doesn't have all those accretions, and then you know maybe have a kind of totally justified ambivalence about it. You know, like Hamlet just whinges on and on and on. <laughs> I mean, these things got to be a buck twenty, or else I just won't go see them. Does, it, does Hamlet have to end in a bludgeon fest? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> the third act, man. Third act problems. Yeah. Um, but yeah, seeing—I mean, it's hard to get around the question of what would you like to time travel to go experience in the moment on to like what would you want to do a segment about? Because mm -hmm. yeah, right. like I think of our segments as being more about our culture than about the cultural object, right? It's sort of about what the thing means in our moment to us, to to people. And so I guess that would be the question about this hypothetical retro time travel segment is whether we would be then analyzing right, it for the right, people right, of right. then or the people of now. Right. Um, but it, I, seeing Shakespeare in the day, like that would be, it would be so... Be hard to say no. Yeah, I'd, I'd go, I'd do, I wouldn't pass that up. Well, but my I second say... answer would be Galaxy Quest. <laughs> <laughs> well can i just say in our tradition of doing tech topics and being kind of baffled by them because none of us are techies what if we did the internet <laughs> i mean what if we somehow traveled back to the moment and was for me probably 95 or 96 when people started to use email and actually have this thing that was going online and we talked about you know what's good what's going to become of all this i mean that would be interesting and <laughs> oh, i'm sure we would just, do an awful job yeah, before how, seeing like, yeah, yeah. No, how cloddishly wrong we would have been we'd, we, yeah. we'd say eh, passing fad will be gone in six months yeah. it's gonna be like chat roulette whatever that will be <laughs> <laughs> If you could go back in time, would you give baby Hitler a bad review? I think is essentially <laughs> the question. It, look, uh, there are very few guests we could have who would as readily flip between Wonder Woman and uh, Cymbeline and Galaxy Quest and reviewing the internet and everything else we've been privy to tonight so that we don't have to have a cultural cringe. Can you demonstrate a big Melbourne round of applause for the Slate Culture Gap Fest? Thank you guys so much. Thank you so much for coming, but I've been totally remiss. The hosting of the Wheeler Center was just, it was heavenly from beginning to end. You have uh, uh, created and run something really unique, really special with no equivalent that I know of in the United States. So just, you know, give it up for the Wheeler Center. It's, uh, Thank you for bringing us here. All right.
Thanks, Melbourne.